0: Culture is created by people, right? The people in the space are the ones who create a culture. Um, Culture is not handed down to us. It's not something that's static, It's, it's dynamic. We create it every single day. And it's the people who feel comfortable who take ownership of those environments, of those spaces, who are able to drive and shape and, and mold the culture to be what they want. And so my my work in the GIF Foundation is really allowing girls to understand that firstly, they have what it takes, that they belong in those spaces, so that even if they do go to college or university or even have careers in tech, if they find that, you know, they walk into an environment that is hostile or that is not accepting of who they are or trying to change them to be something that they're not, that they already have that inherent belief and confidence that they belong in that space and that they can express themselves fully as who they are within that space without having to assimilate and become something that they're not.
1: Welcome back to the DFN Podcast. I'm your host, Ali, and I'm joined today by special guest Nobukosi Dlamini to discuss women in STEM, and more specifically, how to encourage women and girls to join and remain in STEM industries. Now, for those of you who don't know, STEM is an acronym that stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, which historically have been male-dominated fields. Nobukosi has a long list of experience and accomplishments in the tech sector. Notably, she is the founder of Bahati Tech, a data protection and cybersecurity company, as well as the founder of the Girls in FinTech, or GIFT Foundation which mentors and encourages young girls from informal settlements in Cape Town to pursue careers in the fintech sector. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nobukosi.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, so to start off, could you tell us a bit about the Gift Foundation's mission and what prompted you to start this organization?
0: Thank you. So, well, I've been in, in tech for um, a number of years. And obviously, as many of you will know, there's a huge gender gap um, in the active participants between men and women. And it was always something that I found a bit odd because when I went to university, I think I've told you this before, when I started at on in first year, there was sort of a 50-50 split between guys and girls in the class. But as we were progressing with our training, the girls were just dropping off. And by the time um, we graduated from university, I think there must have been um, at least maybe 10% or less um, girls and the rest were boys. And even then, uh, out of all those girls that did graduate with a computer science degree, a lot of them decided they didn't want to remain in the sector. Um, so they went into um, non-technical careers like consulting, HR, you know, risk management, that sort of thing. So it, it was always like um, something that bothered me. Like, why are there so many men um, versus women, um, because women are are equally as capable. Women have at least 50% of the users of technology. So we need equal representation um, if we're going to understand what our customers uh, want to see and be able to um, deliver, you know, um, relatable technology. And as, as I was um, obviously going ahead with my career, I decided to start this foundation to encourage um, girls from a really um, young age, so um, sort of teenagers, high school, to let them understand that they, 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 have, um, they belong in that space. Because one of the things I've picked up looking back is that the culture is really geared towards like a boys club, you know, and the women who sort of remain there are those kind of of girls who who can, for lack of a better word, socialize with the guys and get along with the guys. For you to succeed, you have to be like, you know, one of the boys in, in that space which is ridiculous because that that has actually nothing to do with the job. It has nothing to do with understanding or building technology at all or building software or any of the things that we do in the industry. And a lot of the girls who can't, um, who don't feel comfortable in that space would eventually just feel out of space up until they feel like, you know what, this is not for me And, and leave and go somewhere else where they feel more welcome, where they feel like they belong. So there's a lot of work for us to do um, in encouraging girls to to know that they do belong and that the culture doesn't have to be that because culture is created by people, right? The people in the space are the ones who create a culture. Um, Culture is not handed down to us. It's not something that's static, It's, it's dynamic. We create it every single day. And it's the people who feel comfortable, who take ownership of those environments, of those spaces, who are able to drive and shape and, and mold the culture to be what they want. And so my my work in the GIF Foundation is really allowing girls to understand that firstly, they have what it takes, that they belong in those spaces, so that even if they do go to college or university, or even have careers in tech, if they find that, you know, they walk into an environment that is hostile, or that is not accepting of who they are, or trying to change them to be something that they're not, that they already have that inherent belief and confidence that they belong in that space, and that they can express themselves fully as who they are within that space within, without having to assimilate and become something that they're not. So um, that's a bit of a mouthful, but basically that's why I started the foundation.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing um, mission that you have. And just to highlight how important it is and how real that culture of the boys club that you mentioned is, there's actually a term in the tech industry known as programmers which refers to just that. And the fact that there's a term with a solid definition um, isn't a great sign. So it's great that you're doing something about that. So in giving these girls that confidence, making them understand that this is a place where they belong. And in addition to that, giving them educational support and and the skill development that they need to succeed in this area. I'm wondering what are the wider impacts you expect to see um, from programs like this on a bigger societal and and economic level?
0: Well we focus a lot on girls who come from um, really poor backgrounds like you mentioned um, girls from um, informal settlements in Cape Town but also girls from um, just rural communities. So these girls come from communities where there's High poverty levels and um, high unemployment rates. So them having access to um, this kind of training really does improve their prospects economically and gives them opportunities to explore, you know, careers that they probably wouldn't have been able to reach um, towards. Which I think is is something that we should all be doing, in in my country. But I think in many countries all over the world, this young generation is really feeling the brunt of the economic climate that we're in where a lot of young people are either unemployed or underemployed or you know have high levels of college debt and things like that so we we we, we do focus a lot on um the economic empowerment of it and supporting them to gain access to to these careers but also um You know, women, um, when they live in poverty, they they become really vulnerable to a lot of ills in society like abuse and manipulation and so on. So when a woman is not financially stable or financially independent, independent and dependent on someone else, they become vulnerable to to exploitation, you know, in many different ways. And that's one of the um, challenges that we have in, in Cape Town in South Africa. And giving young women skills and helping them to become financially independent and being able to lift themselves up also, you know, allows them to move out of those kind of situations. Obviously, it's not the only thing that Traps people in abuse but it's one of the key factors if people are financially dependent um they find it difficult to leave an abusive situation and also i don't know who said this but there's the saying that um when you educate a girl you you uplift the entire family you know economically whereas if you educate a guy you know he goes off and lives his best life which is fine you know guys can go off and live their best life but girls normally would Take the responsibility, the additional responsibility to help the rest of the family, which in in poor communities is what we do see quite regularly. So there, there's a lot of other spin-offs on a wider scale, other than just them um, having technical skills and being able to achieve or, uh, or, or or strive towards certain careers. So this concept of the cycle
1: of poverty that you've allu- alluded to and you know, breaking that cycle. That is something that affects both boys and girls from disadvantaged communities. But what are the additional gender-related barriers specific to girls that inhibit them from breaking that cycle and also from joining STEM industries?
0: So one of the things that that unfortunately we do see in, in poor communities with the lack of healthcare, but, that that sometimes is there is you know teenage pregnancy and then as soon as you know a young girl falls pregnant you know um Sometimes they drop out of school or, you know, they stop aspiring to anything because now they're a mother and they have the additional um, responsibility of bringing up a child. And um, soon after that, that, they might fall pregnant again. So that, that's one thing that really becomes a burden for girls more than boys. You know, um, if a guy makes a girl pregnant, he still continues going to school. Um, his life is largely unaffected and and that becomes the barrier but also there's just that expectation in in certain communities where um a girl is just expected to you know get married start start a family you know why 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 are you running around um learning computers what what is this gonna do for you whereas with guys guys are expected to tinker with things and and play around and and figure things out and explore and they they, they're sort of encouraged in a way to explore things that um the family might not understand because a lot of the time these stem careers the family might not be exposed to it so they might not understand you know what are you talking about programming what what's programming and even if the family doesn't understand it for a boy, they'll they'll let, they'll they'll let the boy go and um, okay, so he's doing something we don't quite know what it is, but okay. Um, whereas if it's a girl, it's not that simple. So there's there's so many issues that inhibits girls from achieving certain things and that's why like in the gift foundation we really work with communities so we don't just target girls we target communities and then once we form a relationship with community leaders or ngos that work within a community then we identify girls from there because that helps us to to retain them over a longer period of time because you know, the parents won't question where you're going because it came from a, a community leadership position and we have that relationship that's ongoing with the community.
1: The importance of a community-based approach makes so much sense because those gender roles and those cultural norms are um, upheld by society as a whole and can't be broken down on an individual level. So I love that you're, you're taking that approach. So when we started this conversation, you mentioned STEM as an industry in which a lot of women and girls feel like they just don't belong. And on that note, a lot of women and girls just shy away from even the words science, technology, engineering and math. They, they can be a bit daunting. And research shows that this happens at a very young age. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the classic example of asking school children to draw a scientist. And at age five or six, school kids draw about an even percentage of male and female scientists. But by ages seven and eight, the amount of female scientists is cut in half. And by age 14, there's about four times as many male scientists as female scientists. So clearly something isn't quite right in the education system, which is something frightening to think about. And I'm wondering, Nobukosi, why do you think this is happening and how can we prevent it from continuing?
0: Well, uh, I'm not a, a psychologist, so I'll just tell you my layman's take on it and based on my personal experience as well. I think we, we sort of expect boys to to be to have that interest in mathematics and, and technical subjects, um, whereas with girls, we sort of expect them maybe, you know, to write long essays, study English, um, read literature, you know, read poems and, 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 and that sort of airy-fairy stuff. And sometimes subconsciously, parents who come with that unconscious bias in the way that they approach encouraging their children to take certain subjects, they might do that as well. And it, it also, you know, look at the toys that parents buy for for girls versus the toys that they'll buy for for boys you know they'll buy you know lego for the boy to to try and build things and break things and put them together whereas with girls um they might buy dolls or or you know something something that is 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 not really technical or doesn't require them to develop their analytical thinking as much but also within the school system, I had a, a, an experience, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with, with you, where I was approached by our maths teacher to um, join a, a computer science class that they they were starting. They they were starting. Um, I went to a school that didn't offer computer science in high school, but they they wanted to start, so they selected a couple of us from our maths class, and they said, "Okay, um, we'd like you to 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 go and." Um, learn computer science and then there were a couple of boys as well in that class so and the teacher was male and that teacher in the computer science class put the girls on one side and the boys on the other side and I kid you not he did not look at the girls at all the, the entire time we were in that class and there were some really um, intelligent girls in that class but he even if a girl put her hand up, he would not point at her. If he asked a question, he would look at the, at the boys and, and he would be like, even like the way you mentioned people's pronouns, like he would be like, okay, guys. Um, so guys, we're gonna do this. And it's all about the guys, the guys. And hello, there are some girls in this class who are just like sidelined. And I think he felt that it was just a waste of time of his time to bring those girls into that class because he had already probably figured out in his mind that these girls were not going to make it in this class. So I actually dropped out of that class. <laughs> Funny <laughs> enough, I dropped out because I was like, this is ridiculous. This guy's rude. I'm not going to stay here and put up with this. So I dropped out of that class and I picked up computer science in university when I went to university. And then I remembered, because I even forgot about it, then I remembered, oh, so this is what we were trying to learn in that class that I dropped out of um, when I was in high school. So there is that perception that, you know, girls are not going to make it. And it's probably like professors who've worked before in, and historically they've seen that um, it's boys who, who pass their subjects. So they've just decided that um, they pass because they're boys and they, they generally just don't give girls the, the time of day or an equal chance to actually learn. Or if a girl makes a mistake or says something wrong, it's because she's a girl that she made the mistake. Um, whereas if if a boy gives the wrong answer, try and, and help him. But if, if a girl gives the wrong answer, it's like, oh yeah, you girls don't get it. Just bundle them all up and paint them as idiots. So... Those are some of the things that discourage women and make them feel like, I don't want to be in this space because who would who would want that? Everybody wants to be in an environment where they feel welcome. They feel like they have a fighting chance, especially when you're choosing a career. And you know it's scary um, when you're choosing a career and you're thinking, I have to do this for the rest of my life. You really want to choose something that you feel like you have a chance at being happy in. And if every day you come to class or, or whatever, and every day you've been put down and belittled, after a while you'll be like, I don't want this. I don't want to continue with this. So there's a lot that needs, that needs to change from the parenting side, but also from like professors and teachers as well.
1: Thank you for sharing your experience on that. It's just a, another perfect example of, why we need to break those cultural norms and address those unconscious biases. And unfortunately, I don't think your experience is unique in that way. I think most girls have experienced that on one one level or another. So just emphasizes the importance of having programs like the Gift Foundation in this space. Mm -hmm. So just for the last question today, we know that the pandemic has inhibited school schooling for both boys and girls in both developed and underdeveloped countries. But in the more underdeveloped countries, we're learning that girls who are being taken out of school right now because of the pandemic are far less likely to rejoin once the pandemic ends, um, which will obviously only put the fight for gender equality further behind. So I'm wondering how the Gift Foundation has pivoted during the pandemic to keep offering some sort of skill development, or support to your girls?
0: That's a really difficult question that you're asking. And I think, yes, there's a a, a part that we can play as small NGOs, but I've, I've been um, encouraged to see like some really influential women speaking out about this. I know, for example, Melinda Gates wrote a letter to The presidents of the world, as it were, um, talking about how this pandemic has disproportionately affected women um, versus men. And there's a whole lot of other leaders who've done that, whether that's been taken up in how countries are responding to, to the pandemic, I don't know, but those voices are there and um, those influential women are really trying to to speak out. From our side, it's it's been really challenging because um, we work with girls who wouldn't, for example, have a computer at home, who wouldn't have a laptop, who don't have access to the internet at home. And one of the things like in third world country is cost of accessing the internet is much higher than it would be in a first world country uh, which is ridiculous but that's just how it is um so you have parents who are being affected who have had their livelihoods affected and you know do you ask them to buy bread for their children or to buy you know data for for the internet and it's 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 challenging so we we had to um sort of put our program on hold for a bit And while that was on hold, we we wanted to keep the relationship with the communities going because the community like is is really the key to our success. So we went and um, identified small business owners like women who have traditional businesses. So non-tech enabled businesses like um, women who were like dressmakers, who were in catering businesses, whatever businesses they had. But they were not tech-enabled, and we helped them to pivot so that they could transact and operate digitally, which is what everybody was doing in the pandemic. Nobody could go anywhere, so people were online most of the time. Um, And in South Africa, the the penetration of mobile phones is really high, so almost everybody um, is accessing the Internet at some level on their phone, which really helped us to keep our programs going and to keep that community engagement going and also to expand that engagement into other communities where we were not um, there previously. But we are now regrouping and really trying to to refocus our attention on the girls we we fundraising you know for laptops that they the girls can actually take home or gadgets like tablets and so on that they can take home and and be able to work on and it's challenging because you know we don't really fully understand what is the world going to look like after covid you know will we go back to the way things were is, is life going to just be different now? And, and what does that look like? So I wouldn't say we fully have everything figured out, but we sort of working it as we go along and really trying to adjust so that we still are able to focus on our core market and, and, and deliver the, the, the promise of training these, these girls. I don't think anybody
1: feels they have anything figured out (laughs) during this time so you're not alone in that sense but what you're doing is amazing and I think it's an example of how technological innovation is going to be key in supporting women and supporting gender equality in the future and it's a topic that I'm personally super fascinated in so we'll have to talk about that more sometime in the future. So thank you so much, Nobukosi, for being here today and having such an insightful conversation. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me and all the best to all of you at at, um, DFN.
1: Be sure to tune into next week's episode on Big Data and Gender in the Age of COVID-19 with UC San Diego's Center on Gender Equity and Health.